To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Messianics are missing the point of Hanukkah. Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. During the winter holiday season, while most people are celebrating some version of Christmas, the Jewish community has developed its own Christmas time equivalent in the Feast of Hanukkah. It's a celebration that many Jewish and Gentile Messianics are also drawn to, in large part because of how they see Hanukkah fulfilled in Yeshua. But what if injecting Jesus into a Jewish holiday isn't the point? What if the real point of Hanukkah isn't about miracles, latkes, and lights, but something far more powerful and fundamental to our faith? Today, I want to talk about how Messianics miss the point of Hanukkah in both our theology and observance of the holiday, and then explain how knowing the real story of Hanukkah can affect not just how you celebrate it, but how you walk with Yeshua in your everyday life. Now, before we go any further, let's start with a really brief explanation of what Hanukkah is. Coming from a time in Jewish history about 150 years before the birth of Yeshua, the Feast of Hanukkah long predates Christmas. During that time, the land of Israel was under Greco-Syrian occupation, and the temple had been defiled with pagan sacrifices. Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, is a commemoration of the Jews retaking Jerusalem against incredible odds, and then purifying and rededicating the temple. The eight-day celebration isn't commanded by God, but is a minor festival instituted by the Jewish people. Hanukkah begins on the 25th day of the ninth month on the Jewish calendar, corresponding roughly to the month of December. Today, the modern practice of Hanukkah, like Christmas, involves parties, gift-giving, and other festivities, with families and friends often exchanging at least one gift on each of the eight days. And the main icon of the Hanukkah celebration is the nine-branched candelabrum called the Hanukkiah, although most people refer to it inaccurately as a menorah. Eight of the branches are for the Hanukkah lights, plus one light, the shamash, or servant, to light the others. The Hanukkiah came about as a way to remember what the Talmud describes as a miracle, stating that when the temple was rededicated and they went to relight the holy lamp, they found only one vial of oil with the seal of the high priest still intact. The miracle is said to be that the oil from that one vial turned out to be sufficient for eight days, hence one explanation for the eight days of Hanukkah. So the Hanukkiah is lit in celebration of that purported event. However, whether this miracle actually happened or not is questionable, as none of the authoritative historical records which precede the Talmud report that it did. The fullest historical accounts from that time period are preserved for us in the non-canonical, not-God-inspired books found in some versions of the Bible, especially in the books of 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Now that we've established where Hanukkah comes from and what it's about, there are several reasons why Messianics like to celebrate it. 
And though it may not be the best reason, probably the most common one is that it serves as a Jewish replacement for Christmas. While many Jewish believers had already grown up like I did, celebrating Hanukkah as a Jewish refuge from the Christmas season, Messianics who come from a Christian background have long had Christmas embedded in their annual rhythm and expression as a major life event, whether as the yearly celebration of the birth of Jesus, or as part of the commercial consumerism of the holiday gift-buying season, or from the societal pressures during that time of year, or any number of reasons. Many Messianics find themselves still wanting to maintain that December connection to Jesus, but feel that they can't participate in Christmas, citing concerns over pagan influence and non-biblical origins. So Hanukkah, since it's already well-established in today's culture as a Jewish alternative to Christmas and contains elements that easily lend themselves to being messianically reinterpreted, makes an ideal Christmas substitute. It enables messianics to fulfill that Christmas time need without compromising their conscience. Now, this adoption and reimagining of Hanukkah leads us to our second reason why messianics embrace it. And the justification for keeping this uncommanded feast is based in part on the belief that Yeshua himself celebrated it. But unfortunately, such a characterization is at best an inflation of the biblical evidence. While it's true that the only place in the Bible that Hanukkah is even mentioned is in fact in John chapter 10, verses 22 through 23, it doesn't say much. Then the feast of dedication in Jerusalem came. It was winter. And Yeshua was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And that's all it says. We see the Master Yeshua walking in the temple during the Feast of Dedication, during Hanukkah, just walking. It was hardly an unusual sight for Yeshua to be found in the temple. He was there all the time. So I don't think that this passing detail about Hanukkah necessarily translates into Yeshua's celebration of Hanukkah, and certainly not the way it's celebrated now. I think that's a huge leap. And nothing in the surrounding context further connects his presence in the temple to any kind of Hanukkah celebration. He may have celebrated it. He may not have. He was certainly under no obligation to do so. We only know that he was walking in the temple during one Hanukkah. And to me, that doesn't sound like sufficient biblical motivation for us to then adopt a zealous observance of the holiday, giving it as much time and energy as God's true appointed times. Hanukkah commemorates a momentous event in Jewish history and was deemed important enough by the Jewish people to institute as a holiday so that we would remember our past, just like Purim or Israel Independence Day. But again, Hanukkah is a minor festival, at most. Yet its proximity to Christmas has artificially elevated its importance in our communal conscience. So this verse in John doesn't really deserve the veneration it receives as justification for our celebration of Hanukkah. And third, in a similar way that many read into the John passage to envision Yeshua enthusiastically celebrating Hanukkah, another reason why Messianics like to celebrate it is that they also read into and spiritualize the Hanukkah with Messianic sensibilities. But should we? Dr. David Stern in his Jewish New Testament commentary encapsulates the common biblically-inspired sentiment among Messianic Jews. He says, Hanukkah is celebrated using a special Hanukkah menorah with nine lights. One uses a match to light the shamash, servant, 
and it is then employed to light the other candles. The imagery is rich. Yeshua, the light of the world, came as a servant to give light to everyone so that we might be light to others. And while there's no denying that such imagery really preaches to the Messianic and Christian eye and ear, we need to take a step back for a second to consider whether the Hanukkah itself really warrants such symbolism. First, we know that the Hanukkah is an innovation of Judaism. It's extra-biblical and is used to commemorate a miracle of oil which may or may not have happened. Second, and here's where things start getting interesting, the Hanukkah, while apparently ancient, was not explicitly prescribed by the rabbis. On the contrary, most of the Talmudic references to the Hanukkah lights are to oil lamps, which makes sense given what it's commemorating. There's even a discussion about which oil is best used for Hanukkah. Apparently, it's olive oil. So instead of a candelabrum, in Talmudic times and earlier, you would have more likely used an oil lamp during Hanukkah. And one of the most intriguing elements of this should completely change your perspective on the Hanukkah, because according to the Talmud, lighting eight Hanukkah lights the way we do today was a practice meant only for the, quote, extremely zealous. The basic expectation was that each household would only light a single lamp. Check out this excerpt from the Sanchino version of the Talmud, Shabbat 21b. The bracketed parts are theirs. Our rabbis taught, the precept of Hanukkah demands one light for a man and his household. For example, one light is lit every evening of the eight days for the entire household. The zealous kindle a light for each member of the household, and the extremely zealous, on the first day, one is lit, and thereafter they are progressively increased, in the manner in which we typically see today. So not only is the Hanukkah candelabrum unnecessary to celebrate Hanukkah, only one oil lamp per night was considered by the rabbis to be more than sufficient. Lighting the Hanukkah the way we do today would have been considered extremely zealous. But that's not all. And this relates directly to the spiritualization of the shamash. The Talmud forbids the use of the Hanukkah lights for any ordinary function, such as normal, natural, common sense things like casting usable light for seeing in the dark, providing heat, or transferring a flame from one lamp to another. So it was from these prohibitions that the tradition of the shamash arose. Since the Hanukkah lights weren't allowed to be used to light other lights, the shamash was invented on a technicality to serve that function. It was added to the Hanukkah traditions, not out of any spiritual significance, but merely as a ceremonial convenience to satisfy a rabbinic restriction. Should we not find it curious, then, that something as innocuous and entirely contrived as the shamash would garner such profound meaning as a representation of Yeshua? Now, I get the imagery, I really do. The servant is special and set apart from the others. On some modern Hanukkiyot, it's even elevated above them. Matthew 20, 28 says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And John 1, 9 says that Yeshua is the true light, which enlightens every man. No doubt, it's a glorious picture of our Master, even more so when we imagine that it's been hidden for centuries in plain view of Yeshua's own Jewish people. But the fact remains that when we see Yeshua in the Hanukkah and the Shamash candle, we're seeing him in a rabbinic 
institution, not anything that was given to us by God. We're being inspired by something that was later added to the holiday and invented to circumvent a man-made prohibition against nature and reason. So should we see Yeshua in the Hanukkah and the Shamash candle? We certainly can if we choose to see it that way. But if we do, I think it's worth considering that we're just seeing things where they ought not to be, or at least making too much out of something that God never intended to get our attention. So Messianics like to celebrate Hanukkah because they see what appears to be rich symbolism in the Hanukkah. They believe that Yeshua himself celebrated Hanukkah, and it meets a practical and emotional need for a replacement for Christmas. But as I said at the beginning, what if none of that is the point of Hanukkah? What if the best reason for celebrating Hanukkah isn't about a supposed miracle of oil or lighting the Hanukkah lights or exchanging gifts or eating potato latkes and sufgani goats and playing dreidel, having parties, or even celebrating Yeshua in a Christmas-adjacent way. I contend that the real point of celebrating this Jewish historical holiday and the profound impact it can have on our walk as disciples of Messiah will be entirely missed as long as we have only a sanitized understanding of the real story of Hanukkah. In the real story of Hanukkah, Israel was under oppressive Greco-Syrian occupation. But it was the Jewish people themselves, all the way up to the priesthood, who willfully participated in their own assimilation into the Gentile way of life. They were Torah breakers. They covered over the mark of circumcision. They introduced customs that were contrary to God's word and abolished the Torah's prescribed practices. They were so crazy for Hellenism and foreign customs that many of the priests no longer cared about their service at the altar. They disdained the temple and neglected the sacrifices in order to participate in, of all things, Greek athletics. And all this led to God's chastisement of Israel, allowing the spirit of anti-Semitism to come in and make the keeping of the Torah, the honoring of Shabbat, the continuation of the temple service, and more crimes against the state. The Jewish people were ordered to build pagan altars and shrines, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, to desecrate the temple, to leave their sons uncircumcised, and to let themselves be defiled with every kind of impurity and abomination so that they might forget the Torah and change all their observances. 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verses 48-49. through 49. It was against this rampant self-assimilation and anti-Semitic tyranny that one priest, his five sons, and the faithful ones of Israel rose up in righteous rebellion. But they fought not simply to free themselves from foreign oppression and to regain possession of the temple. They fought for the hearts and minds and future of the Jewish people. With a fervor for the Torah and the zeal of Phineas, some fought their enemies and even their neighbors to the death while others chose to die rather than comply with the ungodly decrees to defile themselves and to profane and forget God's holy word. And it is this fight and dedication to the ways of God that we as disciples of Messiah should also desire to see in ourselves. On his deathbed, that faithful priest is said to have uttered these stirring and inspiring words. These are times of violence and distress. Arrogant people are in control, 
and have made us an object of ridicule. But you, my sons, must be devoted to the Torah and ready to die to defend God's covenant with our ancestors. Remember what our ancestors did and how much they accomplished in their day. Follow their example, and you will realize that no one who puts his trust in Adonai will ever lack strength. My sons, be strong and courageous in defending the Torah. This is what Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, is really all about. Not mythical miracles or military maneuvers, but the absolute, unconditional imperative to be so completely and continually devoted to God that we will never again even consider departing from His ways. It's the same sense of dedication and commitment that we hear coming from the mouth of Paul when he declared in Philippians 1, verses 20 and 21, I will be ashamed of nothing. Rather, in all freedom, Messiah will be magnified in my body, whether through my life or through my death. For to me, to live is Messiah, and to die, gain. So in this same vein, knowing and remembering the authentic Hanukkah story should be the point of Hanukkah because it allows us to see what true dedication to God and His Word looks like. A dedication and willingness to fight and die for what we believe in. If you really want to understand the point of Hanukkah, the deep depravity and oppression of Israel, as well as the full weight and courage and sacrifice of those righteous and zealous Jewish freedom fighters and martyrs, then I have a resource that I highly recommend that you get. It's one of my favorite books that I've written, The Real Story of Hanukkah, Dedicated to the Death, which is based on the historical accounts leading up to the institution of Hanukkah as recorded in First and Second Maccabees. It'll inspire you to walk in that same commitment to the scriptures and to the one who deserves the entire dedication of your life, our master, the Messiah, Yeshua. You can visit realstory.perfectword.org to find out more. That's realstory.perfectword.org. When I look upon the Hanukkah lights, my thoughts aren't of miracles and merriment, but of the fire that still blazes in the heart of God as he yearns for his chosen people to return wholeheartedly to him. I think of those of my ancestors who fought and died in his name, refusing to forget that Adonai set them apart for a purpose. And I think of those who live today in presumed safety and freedom to live as we please, yet having forgotten who God made us to be. As disciples of Messiah, we have an abundant treasure of spiritual richness in the legacy of the scriptures. The Master Yeshua's ample fulfillment of God's feasts and appointed Moedim should keep us satisfied for a lifetime. So if we choose to then keep the traditions of Judaism in our observance of an expressly Jewish holiday like Hanukkah, let's respect that legacy and heritage as well, and forego the Messianic adaptation as well as the elevation of Hanukkah to the same level as that of the holy days expressly instituted by God. Perhaps just one lamp of oil will be sufficient for us this year. Perhaps by revisiting the original traditions, we may find ourselves not so extremely zealous for the season after all. So let's not make Hanukkah a commemoration of an unlikely miracle 
or a celebration from Yeshua-inspired symbolism, or even a substitute for Christmas, but instead a tribute that honors and internalizes a Jewish remnant's extreme commitment to God's name and his word. Let's remember that the real point of Hanukkah is to memorialize those courageous and uncompromising ones who gave everything they had for God. Let's be moved toward that same daily dedication to Messiah, whether through our life or through our death. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Work Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring that bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment, or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.